0: We've arrived at episode 152 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. And I'm going to tell you right now, Nick, I can't remember the last time people were this pissed off that somebody won an Oscar.
1: <laughs> yeah, so of course, outside of Best Picture, which had that whole kind of mess up with the award and Moonlight getting it and La La Land being named and all that, you know, I think congratulations to Moonlight, by the way. But yeah, for getting absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah. Well deserved. But we're talking about Suicide Squad. Winning Best Hair and Makeup Oscar. Now, I said this on my Twitter earlier this week, and I said this on my Facebook as well. Listen, yes, it's for hair and makeup, but if you thought that you'd wake up this week and Suicide Squad and the DCEU would have more Oscar wins than Marvel... Yeah, I don't think that. W- I think it's like a one like thousand chance of happening. I think.
0: And you know what? Somebody's head just exploded listening to this podcast. Like, oh, <laughs> you can't claim that it's for it's for hair and makeup. It's look still what, an Oscar. Look what Star Trek Beyond did. And look if I see that picture of somebody from Star Trek Beyond and Harley Quinn next to each other and say this is what the no, that is not why su- Harley Quinn had nothing to do it- with Suicide Squad winning the Oscar. It was Croc's suit.
1: It was croc It was. It was everything Croc, It was enchantress. It was, and people were gonna say, "Oh, well, people were just dirtier." It's like no, it's the fact that Joker had all those tattoos. Yeah, as and in there was Harley that to a lesser extent. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's just certain aspects of characters that you know. Again, Star Trek, of course, you have all these different aliens, but again, it's makeup and hair. Yes, As well. yes. I can't believe i yes. being really
0: technical with this. It's, it's of kind all of all ridiculous awards. to talk about, but at the yeah. same time, I'm going to just use this because, you know, we've talked on the show before about how fanboys in general just kind of annoy us, yeah. and that just that goes with anybody that's just a—and you know what we mean when we say fanboy. Like, when we
1: say fanboys, we're talking about people who see a certain property or, or a publisher or whomever— and think they can do nothing wrong, and that everything they anything, do is yeah. great.
0: Like like Star Trek fans who think that nothing in Star Trek can ever be bad because they're just fanboys, or Marvel in particular has some very annoying. Oh fanboys god, yeah. And there, there are two. There are two
1: fanboys. There are two sets of, of, of fans that I really don't like a lot. And Marvel's one because they just... Fl- I think, you know, I, I, as someone who grew up on Marvel, I think that I've had conversations with, and even arguments with Marvel fans and they just cannot no. see the side of the coin. Not at all. Which sucks. And it's especially because they're the ones that do the whole, well, DC sucks. It's like, no, you can like both publishers. Yes. You know, and, and, and you can like both. doesn't mean you're a traitor at all. The second being Nintendo fans who are like, yeah. Nintendo can't do anything wrong. You know, yeah. Switch just came out. So you had people are like, Oh yeah, I know the only game I'm really interested in playing is Zelda. But there's all these other games where I can milk cows and everything else like that. It's like really, like yeah, you, you, you can't, right? You know, like, you're gonna spend 60 bucks on like party game. You're only gonna play with one person because you know you have no friends at all. And that's
0: <laughs> why I know I can use this to troll the hell. Out of any Marvel fanboy, right. fangirl, fan pet, whatever, it's, like, it's gonna. This is gonna be the nugget I'm gonna use until Marvel <laughs> gets one, until they get an Oscar, just to piss them off. Right. It's like, well, Marvel made a trillion dollars at the box office,
1: and sudden it's just Suicide Squad, Oscar. Yeah, exactly.
0: How you like that pudding?
1: <laughs> Man, uh, here's, a, here's a question. So, Suicide Squad wins the Oscar. I text you. It say, hey, Suicide Squad, After to show up watching the Oscars, Suicide Squad wins. Real question. Did you, after seeing Suicide Squad win, tell your wife, honey, get out the Harley Quinn costume?
0: <laughs> the first thing I thought was fake news.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> fake news. No, it was real, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, because even I thought, yeah, all right, they got nominated. That's funny. They're yeah. never going to win. I mean, Fantastic Beast also won an Oscar, but yeah. I mean, t- just for that, I, I just can't wait to use that for the first time as one of the biggest troll jobs ever. Fantastic
1: Beasts actually winning an award for cost costume design.
0: Which, I mean, that I think, rightfully mean,
1: yeah, so, it, I, yeah. I mean, this year I will say it's about the costume design thing. It wasn't like, you know, you had, like, Lord of the rings as stuff and everything else like that. Or really, you. Know, was, again, I'm, I'm, surprised we re- I'm surprised that based on what they're, Based on, we rarely see comic movies get nominated. Like, Doctor Strange, you know, I'm surprised that didn't get nominated for a a Best Costume or anything like that. I'm really shocked by that. Or any Marvel film or DC film or whatever comic film getting nominated for Best Costume. Because I look at the Best Costume nominees, I'm like, they're just wearing clothes.
0: Why didn't Baron Zemo Zemo get nominated for Best Short Film? (laughs) I mean, should that be a serious question? I don't know.
1: I, I have no idea. I, I don't know, but I mean, all I know is that Ultron had a, a robot army. Loki had a whole alien army. Couldn't do anything. Avengers. Zemo just had a book, Yep, <laughs> book and a tape recorder. A book and a tape recorder. Just broke them all up. It just broke them all That's up.
0: Just by the way, we're 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 not breaking up because I'm James with him alongside. I hope you never break up, you son of a bitch. I've been doing this too
1: long. I cannot support this family by myself. We need you home. You can't be out with your whores every night uh, turning their pages and licking your fingers and rubbing them across their, their art pieces. You cannot do that to me, James.
0: You can't fucking do it! You piece of shit!
1: I'm the Merkle one. I'm Nick Bataglia. By the, the way, the licking the
0: fingers thing was was a good choice. That's interesting, but it's just. Made a very just good choice. I see. I come
1: home every night. I come to the studio, and you're just caressing
0: a new book every night. Are my stories not enough for you? You know, what makes me laugh is that this is the intro that we have a CEO on the show this week. <laughs> 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 yes, the CEO, publisher extraordinaire, Ted Adams of IDW, <laughs> <laughs> will be joining us this week. I'm sure he's very proud right now I to think be a part I, of the show. I think Ted is probably
1: laughing right now Oh, he now completely is, yeah. I, I think he, I think, I really do think he is. Sitting in his chair in the <laughs> Diablo house. Right, and of course Diablo, we're going to talk about his the Humble Bundle thing that IDW is doing, as well as Ted's series Diablo, which... I mean, we got an early look at some of the pages, mm-hmm. and really, if you're a fan of Tales from the Crypt, you're going to love this book. We'll ask him about that, too, coming right? Up here in a few exactly. But come up next, speaking of comics, and James is rubbing his wet fingers through their different many pages. We're going to discuss what we're reading is coming up next on Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Kent, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week in James. You know, we talked about Charmed a while back and how they're going to be doing a kind of prequel show, not connected to the actual TV show, but kind of, you know, going backwards in the realm of 70s and stuff like that. But you know what? Dynamite said, hey, let's uh, pay some homage to the show that came before that. You know, the original series, and so what they did
0: was they said, you know, let's do a Charmed comic book series. And that's what you read this week. That's right. And Charmed had comics before, but now it is back. And this time with Dynamite. So the first issue, like Nick said, actually going to be coming out. And it's called A Thousand Deaths. That's the name of the story, which is written by Erica Schultz. Illustrated by Maria Sinapo, Colored by Heartwork Studios and lettered by Tom Napolitano. Now, I will say this. This is the page Piper, and Phoebe Charmed. So those are the characters that you're going to be dealing with. And I mean, it starts off right off the bat. I mean, you know that the Charmed Ones fight the demons of the world and stuff like that. And I mean, you go full demon first few pages. There's no stopping and... You just get the dynamic between the girls again. I'm and I mean, looking at, yeah, I'm looking at, the, at like the first page like the bottom right corner. You get to look at that demon face, and you're like, well, we're just going right into this. And the other thing I like, too, is that clearly they've they've been together for a while, but still they have their little infighting on how they should be dealing with demons and stuff like that. So I like that they kept that in this issue. And what I like is, I, didn't, I haven't read this series yet, uh, but
1: I'm just looking at the, some of the art right now. But what I like about this, what you're saying is, it's like this is a, like people already established. This isn't like how they all met and everything else. They're already established characters. Let's just move forward. I like that. I like that there's no anything like that. They would they would have bugged me, especially for a show that had a long of a run as Charmed. It would have bugged me
0: and and it's cool too because it not only not only that but you've got the the whole dealing with the their everyday lives too because that was one of the cool things about charmed it wasn't just them fighting demons and trying to keep their magic a secret and stuff like that it was always them dealing with their everyday lives like Phoebe trying to get more responsibility at the paper that she works at and stuff you know Piper trying to manage everything that's going on with the businesses and the house and stuff like that so you've still got that dynamic and Paige is is trying to help other people with powers and stuff like that. So that is also part of this issue. But they also have the the underlying theme of these demons and what's going on there. And I don't want to get too much into spoiler territory right. or anything like that. So it's hard for me to tell you what's going on. But the demon that you see in the, in the beginning of the issue, there's more going on there that mm-hmm. you'll find out later on in the story. And it, I, the best way I can kind of put it is like in classic demon fashion something kind of starts to unravel towards the end of the book. And another thing that I don't want to spoil, but you will probably see coming, is that there is a very familiar character from the Charmed TV series that will make their way into this book about midway through. And when you see who it is, you're going to be like, Yay! (laughs) I I see who it is,
1: and again... yeah, yeah, you will go Doesn't yay. it just
0: make sense? It, it's nice.
1: It's I'm not going to lie. It's nice seeing these characters in some sort of fashion back in our lives again, in some sort of fashion, whether it's comics or television. And
0: you could have made certain choices with which characters you wanted to bring back, and the, the, one, the, the fact that they chose that one. Right. And they chose that one for a reason, because that's going to play out with what's going on with these demons a little bit later on in the book, so I think it was a really nice choice, and I hope to see the dynamic between those two characters play out in future issues too now of course I'm looking at it you're looking at it we're looking at the art of course for people who are hearing this and they maybe haven't picked it up yet, what, what can you say about the art? I mean, it's gorgeous. It's really detailed. I mean, the colors by Heartwork Studios, especially, really, really great. Especially with some, with one of the witches that uses one of their particular powers. Yeah. You know, they've got a beautiful the blue colors that are just popping through. The way, I like, like the that. way they use light in this too. Yeah, the lighting is really, really good. So I mean, that's just a testament to how the the artists and the colorists on this book are doing. And I do like the story. I mean, I did I did think that. Um, this is very much a setup issue. This first issue is very, very much set up. It doesn't really reintroduce you to the characters, but it's setting up where the story's going to go very, very so much. So this
1: does not read, like, and, and we say this a lot on the show when we're doing like Most number one issues, but it doesn't read like a full zero issue. It reads more like, well, would you say like a one and a half, like a half issue? I would say it reads like
0: a true number one, but not a true number one that is there to introduce the characters, which we would normally consider a zero issue. It's just telling you, okay, here's who's going to be in this book. Here's your antagonist, and here's how we're going to set up the dominoes before we start pushing them over kind of thing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because I liked it. They didn't go the route of, okay, this is going to be, here's how they met, and here's what's going on in their lives, and here's how they use their powers. It wasn't that. It was very much a, hey, we're going to have a a quote-unquote fight scene right out of the gate. We're going to show you what they're going to do. Here's their current dynamic. Here's what's going on in their lives, and here's who they're going to have to deal with later on in the issue. So, I mean, like you said, I'm just happy to see the Charmed Ones back in the pages of comics again. And, I mean, I know we've got the reboot coming. We don't have a lot of information on that as far as the TV series goes. So until we get more information on that, I mean, I think that this book just kind of does it all for you.
1: So it's always a pull, pick up, you, you would say? Pull?
0: I'm going to say right now that it's a pull. Okay. Because I feel like they've built something here, and I think that the dynamic of the characters in the book okay. alone. So, so so so
1: basically, from just I'm just trying to get your gist here. Uh, again, I have not read the first issue yet, but from what you've read in this first issue, there's no fear of they're just going to re-highlight something they did in the show kind of thing. Like, totally not cause, doing Because that's that, the yeah. thing that some comics do is they they bring in certain TV uh, or movie you know qualities or IPs, I should say, and they just redo, reintroduce the film or television show and just hi- re-bring in certain aspects of that into it. It's like it's kinda of like you're just reading episodes. Yeah. And we're reading a film. Yeah. And it's not you know, in adaptations and that's not what you
0: want. And that's totally not what they're doing, and that's the good thing. As a matter of fact, it seems like they're setting up more of a long game okay. as far as a villain's concerned than the show really even did. Okay. I mean the show did that at times, but not not a lot. Mm-hmm. It was more about the charmed ones and their story and stuff like that. This Which I is like. not only about that, but it's about okay, let's set up a villain for the long term. And I will say this that Erica Schultz and uh in her writing Really gets these characters, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I think I like about this book the most. Not to mention that the art by everyone involved, from the from the illustrator to the colorist, is just beautiful. So yeah, this is definitely a pull for me, but I, d- I do want to see um, a little less set up in the second issue, which I think we will see that. That's why I'm confident to add this to my pull list.
1: Okay, so of course, me, I've been reading a bunch of DC stuff, I know as you have as well, and one of the limited series has kind of caught my attention... Really, because since this is the first issue, it has been Death of Hawkman. Oh, you could say our attention.
0: Yeah. You know that one's been catching my attention. Yeah. Big
1: Hawkman. Yeah, of course. And, of course, this is a, a sort of crossover, if you will, between Hawkman and Adam Strange. And this is the book I'm reviewing this week, of course, as it wrapped up. Uh, this week is Death of Hawkman number six of six, which, of course, is a limited series. And it's written by, of course, Mark Draco, and the art's done by uh, kind of not really an army, but they've had different you know individuals for certain... T- every- when it comes to the art, they've had individuals do the individual tasks. Yeah. For example, you have Aaron Lepresti, who did the pencils, John Livesay does the inks, Blonde did the colors, and Josh Reed did the letters. But before I dive into the pages themselves... The main cover of Issue 6 by Aaron LaPresti and Brad Anderson is literally something that you want to hang on your wall. Oh,
0: totally. And totally. for people who have
1: not seen it yet, I mean, you can go on ComicList.com, look at DC.com, you know, Comics.com. It'll be on our website It'll as well. be on our website as well, Danger, of course, podcast.com. as well. It is the Hawkman helmet and just a skull underneath it, and it's just beautiful. Like, it is just beautiful. Gorgeous.
0: This is one of those covers that you bring to a con with a silver sharpie and gonna be lie. like, "Hey, sign this cover for me." You can. People, I'm probably getting a lot of
1: flack for saying this. I think behind when you look at covers throughout the history of comics and just iconic covers, I put this I, the way I would rank them. Uh, first to be Death of Superman because you had the, the bloody oh, ass course. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, second would probably be Death of the Family of Batman holding Robin. Third, Death of Hawkman.
0: Wow. Wow, that's a that's that's a that's high praise right there. I mean, that is very. High and I
1: know and I'm not doing. And a lot of people are probably gonna jump on me. go, Oh, what about this? Because it was so historical. Anything else? Yeah, but I'm talking about history is nice. But I'm talking about a comic when you look at it, like it grabs you, and mm-hmm. that's what this this cover does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but diving into the pages of this story, of course, this is issue six, the final issue. So, Hawkman right now is in a battle with Despero, who is of course the main antagonist in this. Despero, of course, is taking control of the Nth Metal, and he's parents turned a bunch of beings into mindless minions, so it's kind of like your final fight, and it's it's really the odds are against our heroes. You know, it's a bunch too little. You know, you have, of course, Adam Strange, you have Hawkman, and, then, of course, you have Kral, who is actually now, he went from just being a Thangarian, he's now a Green Lantern. <laughs>
0: Which is crazy,
1: it's, right? It's yeah. insane. It's pretty insane. And so... This issue deals kind of like with Crawl having to literally on the fly—no pun intended—learn how to be a Green Lantern. You learn how to use his ring, and he doesn't go through the same things, of course, Jessica Cruz does. But there are those times of kind of doubt he has himself, of like, "Man, I don't know if I can do this." It's a lot, to, you know, especially for my first time. I've just got this ring, especially
0: under the circumstances. Yeah, too, you know?
1: yeah, you know, when you, when you have a villain like Despero who is like, "I want to invade Earth and make people bow before me," and I'm like all this nth metal and everything else it, yeah it's kind of like t- clock's ticking and you don't have enough time to really you know get comfortable it's
0: not like handing somebody an axe and going here use this it's a little bit different than that
1: <laughs> yeah pretty much so of course i said desperate is trying to invade earth and this is pretty much i mean it's in the titles death of hawk man Yeah. Wow. so spoiler alert Hawkman dies. No. <laughs> I'm just saying. No. There are people that are going to look at this like, you son of a bitch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know. I thought he would live. I, thought <laughs> I actually found a nice retirement community. No. To to. Well,
1: well, you probably, you, my thing is you probably have people that look at the title and they're like, dead the Hawkman. Oh, so like, he's not Hawkman anymore. He's just himself. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's a play on words type of thing. No, he fucking dies. Well, there's that. (laughs) But the way he does die, I'm not going to spoil how he dies. It is one of those things where it's a very... You want to talk about hero moments. You want to talk about just... I mean, a guy who's just bloody and literally has just... Like, this is my one shot. I just have... This has to hit perfectly... That's all I'll say about it. And, right. it's, and it. and they really do, a, I think, a really great job. Uh, and Draco does a really great job of, of giving him kind of that. Not really a send-off, but just this is what ma- defines him. Because remember, throughout this whole series, you have the people of Ran who are like, Man, we hate the Thangarians. We hate them. Yep. And it's vice versa. And Am Strange for just being with Hawkman. His wife turns against him. was like, you've turned on your people. You are now a terrorist and just,
0: you know, an enemy of the state. Turns and, against him, hunts him. Right. I mean, everything. Everything. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: really, this whole limited series does a great job of kind of bringing Strange and Hawkman together. Now, granted, there's never that part of... I never really got that sense of, like, oh, they're brothers. They're still, you know, because... I would say they're more partners that kind of just got jumped into things to be partners. That's exactly what it is. It's a very uneasy
0: partnership, right. very much a forced partnership. Right.
1: It? And so, I mean, when you look at just the way that this that this whole writing is handled, the way the story has been, I like the fact that they made Adam, Str- Adam Strange, who a lot of people probably listen is like, who the hell is Adam Strange? They don't know. But I will. I'm happy to say this. Uh, that the way that this book ends, it looks like they're leaning towards doing more things with Adam Strange.
0: Which they should. I mean, he's a he's very intriguing character, and he you know, he has that gnawing, I have to do the right thing right. kind of thing, but it's it's more because it's it's just the right thing to do. And, I mean, if you're going to go against your wife and your quote-unquote people, I guess you could say, in order but to do the
1: I right like thing, about, it's crazy. But what I like about this is, I'm not going to spoil this, but the way that they end this in, in, the, in terms of his wife, it's not your typical "everything is fine" thing. You know, it's not your typical like "let's all sing kumbaya" and you're with me, I'm with you. Yeah, that's all I can say. You know, before really getting into spoiler territory. But overall, I mean, the art has been consistent throughout. I mean, again, if you've read a bunch of DC stuff, it's just that DC look—that clean, crisp look, that very, very, very detailed look. I think that. The best part of the art was, of course, Hawkman. Seeing him bloodied, seeing him near death before he does die really leaves an impact on me. And I think it will leave an impact on a lot of readers, too. Uh, You know, and and really, I think that when you see him do what he does in this issue, you're going to really, I think, feel... If you're not a Hawkman fan before reading this, you are going to be somebody who I think will go and say, you know, I want to go read some earlier Hawkman stuff or some whatever and it's one of those things where it's like the last image you see in this book It's one of those things where I was like oh my god, and I'm not going to get into it but it's just one of those things where it's like you want to talk about uh, just I, I can't really describe it because it's going to spoiler, but I'm just like, you, want, you just want something that grabs your attention and you're like, I need more of this? Totally, yeah. That's how this ends. So I'm going to give this a definite pull. I love this a lot. The, again, the art was fantastic. The writing from top to bottom was, was wonderful. I will say this. It, it, even though a part of me did kind of feel like it was a little bit random that Crawl did become a Green Lantern, he does serve a nice purpose in this whole thing. In terms of, like, Adam trying to save the world from Despero and everything else like that with Hawkman and being by his side. And I will say this, too, is it's not really a, a, a bad thing, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you have – whenever you have people who are partners, there's always going to be that, you're going to make it. Don't you die. I mean, you're going to – Yeah, So it kind of like – Okay, that's very cliche, but in a sense, it's like, well, well, how much can you write it? You know, Right, exactly, you, yeah. You can't just have Adam Strange just go, whatever, fuck you. Well, it's been a good run, see ya. Right, you know? <laughs> but overall, this is definitely a pull for me. with uh, double pull this week. Yeah, man. Nice. Hi, this is writer Mark Miller, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Well, this week in Geek Tammit, we are going to talk about why it seems like it's always a bad idea to go try and habitate an unknown planet by humans.
1: Yeah, when I saw the trailer for Alien Covenant, I'm not going to lie. When I, this is The first thing that popped in my head was, okay, so they just found those seven new planets in the, the Trappist star, wherever they are, the Trappist area. Like, this is what I picture the colonization of those things to be like.
0: If you step off of any ship and it's completely 100% silent, I would turn around, get right back <laughs> on the ship and say, see ya, not happening. It, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you have a choice to stay on a planet
1: that's melting and it's going to blow up or whatever because it's so hot. Or you, you can go into this little excavation, but the problem is there are these like, alien creatures that tr- impregnate you and everything else like that and you have things bursting out of your back and your chest. I'm sorry. I'm going to take the nice nuclear explosion because a you won't feel
0: anything, and b uh, I don't feel like having hug my face. That's
1: an, you know an alien.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. And it's all couples. It's like the worst episode yeah, so of marriage boot camp ever. <laughs> I'm I'm ready, I'm ready to disqualify. It's
1: all couples, so I'm ready to disqualify from the. Uh, the the excavation, which is perfectly fine by my
0: watch. So basically, the Alien Covenant's like the worst reality show ever. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty, Pretty much. But I mean, of
1: course, you know, Alien Covenant is the sequel to Prometheus. Now, I was not a fan of Prometheus. Me neither. Well, solely because if you want to talk about movies that break its own rules, it broke every rule. It hit every branch on the way down in terms of science, in terms of, wait a minute, you have, like, this guy who is, like, a geologist where he, like, he knows maps, but he can't find his way out of a fucking cave and all this other stuff, and it's, like, it was just one of the things where, like, for people who have the titles that they had in that movie, they're pretty dumb. I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah, yeah that's I, the I, problem with that with that movie for me, too, is it's, like, really, you can't figure this out? You're supposed to be really smart, and you well, can't it's figure like, this out? Come on. It's, well, it, it started with the whole, we're in a cave on a alien
1: planet let me take my helmet off how about you fucking don't that's like rule one yeah pretty much so of course alien covenant is the sequel to prometheus now, i will say this just judging from the trailers and of course trailers can lie we can get a totally different movie than what we're seeing you know but someone who's seen both the red band trailer and this new one that just came out my thing is that this looks like a real return to form for ridley scott in terms of just the alien movies so i think that just judging the fact, like, I mean, we're having, we, have we of course, have xenomorphs, and we have this whole discovery of planets and everything else like that, and, and, and trying to colonize things. And, of course, they get to this planet, and they're saying, well, wait a minute, there's wheat here. There's actual food here. And then you see the ship. Now, the first thing that jumped in my head, I don't know if it jumped into yours, was when you saw the, the ship. Mine was, okay, that's the ship that Numeir Pace's character and David left on at the end of Prometheus. Yeah. So maybe that's where they found him. Maybe she's going to be back in this, and they're going to do whatever. Uh, but overall, I mean, this seems like a movie where, again, I think it's a a return to form, and one thing I really hope that it does is something that the first Alien movie captured on was that it's not a full-on action movie, that it's actually a suspenseful horror, that's more horror than it is action.
0: Yeah, cards on the table. I've never been a huge fan of the Alien franchise, partly because it seems like I'm always disappointed when I see these movies. I can't remember the last time there was an actual good one that I enjoyed. So I hope that this movie takes its time to be a bit more cerebral than
2: mm-hmm. some of
0: the others were. And like you were saying earlier, not break the rules that you're not supposed to break in these kinds of movies. And I think that the other thing that that, that might be a trapping of this, even though I've never been a huge fan of the franchise, I will never discount how badass the xenomorphs are. But I think, I almost feel like they're going to overdo it gore-wise just to get a reaction out of people, too. So that's I, another worry I have.
1: What I like in horror movies is, of course, the cerebral aspect, as you mentioned, where people are kind of like, you know, for example, like the first Alien, I loved it so much because it's a bottle film, but it's really suspense, tensions are high, stuff like that. You know, so like, you know especially when you look at a movie like The Thing as well. And I like that mystery of like, Oh my God! Who's really the dangerous person here? Right, you know, who is right. the evil? Whereas with this, when I saw the end of the trailer, like, yeah, it was pretty cool seeing a xenomorph headbutt the top of a ship and try to break through the glass. But my thing is, oh my God! Don't just be don't don't become alien versus predator. Don't just be all my action point. as thing, making it feel like these people are really in danger and stuff like that. So we're gonna have to see how this goes. But I mean, you know, just looking at the cast and, and the people that they have in this. Of course, you have Dan McBride in there to be the comic relief. You have some faces that we haven't really seen in a while as well. And like, like here's the thing: I really want this movie to be good for some odd reason. Ridley Scott has had some sort of dick measuring contest with you know Blum Camp remember Blum Camp was supposed to have his like yeah. Aliens Four or whatever yeah. to come out, and and Ridley Scott's like, no, we're doing this, so it's kind of like Ridley won in the end. So I'm kind of like, I hope that this is good and it doesn't suck because like, man, you literally just crushed Blumkamp's dreams of actually doing an alien movie and from the, the art that Blumkamp put out for his alien movie, it looked pretty badass.
0: And people were excited about it and I'll, I'll right. be honest, I've seen the reaction so far when this trailer dropped, of course it was a few days ago now, and people are just losing their shit over this and I and I and when I watched it I went okay, you know I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't overwhelmed you know? I wasn't overwhelmed for me it was kind of like,
1: once you see the red band trailer, it, seeing the green band, it's kind of like Okay, <laughs> you know, like it's not whatever I mean, yeah uh, and, and it's just one of those things where it's like one of these things I don't want the movie to be either, and I think that this is something that the red band kind of scared me with a little bit uh, was in the beginning when you see the back burster, you know they have, they have the chest bursters now, it's like the, you can have things busting out your back now and stuff like that. It's gory just to be gory. Like, That's look what, at what you can saying. do.
0: That's what I was saying.
1: So, I hope that it's not that. Like, I hope that it's, like, creatively done and not just like, look, here's bone and, and tissue and shit right. like that. It's That's like, what I was
0: saying earlier. It's just, I, I, that that frustrates point. me about movies like that, you know?
1: It, yeah. So, I mean, of course, this whole movie is dealing with colonization of a new planet. And, of course, Wayland has, has some sort of place in this as well, as they always do, which is interesting as well, so I mean, it's going to be, again, coming off of a movie that at first people liked, and then they didn't like as far as Prometheus goes, I'm excited about this, but I'm cautiously excited about this, if that makes any sense.
0: I think more people want to be excited about this, but can't help but be cautious because of recent memory of Alien movies. I think it's more that than anything else, because I mean, when when you saw, like, like of course, Logan's opening up, okay? So when you saw the first trailer for Logan, you went, whoa, you Well, know?
1: Well, Logan, it's like we've been waiting 17 years to actually see him, you know, people bleed out when right. he stabs them. But,
0: but let's face it, it's not like the Wolverine movies have been stellar on their own. No, so, it's a low bar, but, you're right. But when you see, when you saw Logan, you went, you, immediately you're going, wow, this looks like it's going to be great. Whereas, and I would say that the Alien movies have had the same kind Kind of track record it's not like they've been great recently well i think
1: well i think that a problem that i mean at least i have with prometheus amongst the other things i said earlier uh was this like oh you're gonna see how the xenomorphs were created yeah you did see at the end but it was more of like a stinger type thing but it's like oh you're gonna do it with the whole space jockeys and then everything else like that it's gonna be about them and it's like it was really uninventful in the end, and so with this, it's kind of like okay, we're giving you xenomorphs, but don't overdo it. You know, have like a few in there. Don't have like this whole big ass like armies, armies of xenomorphs. You know?
0: Yeah, and and that's another thing that I'm worried that they're going to do. And and you know what? If, even for the most diehard fan of the Alien franchise, xenomorphs are cool, but if you overdo it, you're going to walk if, out going, what, what do we do? What do we just do here?
1: If if they if what they can do with this trailer. Is, you know, again, again, you're seeing these people go on this planet and they're, you know, saying, hey, we need to, you know, build this thing to make sure we can colonize it and everything else like that. If they were to do this, and again, we could could be saying we could be totally wrong about what their original plan is with the movie. If we go see the movie and this ends up being a Jaws esque thing, going back, again, going back to the first Alien movie where it was more. They're more the the xenomorphs were more hidden, really. It was kind of like, you know, Jaws in Space, if you would. Right. If they go back to that, but it's more like an open world, like they're on a literal planet, so it's like, instead of just being in the water, they're like, no, this is a whole fucking land we're on right now. If they make it like that, like a sandbox-slash-bottlesque type of a film, I'm in. Like, if you you do that, but again, if if you do the overabundance of xenomorphs, and that's the thing, too, is if you have armies of them, if you have, like, a few, that's, it makes it, like, a real, like, oh my god, we're being hunted. But when you make, it, have, like, a whole army of them, A, that the, you make it, people believe that, okay, the space have already been sealed in terms of the, the crew, yeah, and also it's kind of like, well, it's not special anymore, you know, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you watch Star Wars, and it's just, you see all the, uh, all the lightsabers, and you're like, okay. That's, <laughs> what, the pre-
0: yeah, that's what the prequels did, was there were far too many lightsabers flying around all over the place, and you're like, ah, Okay, plus, I mean, think about it. We were talking about how, how dangerous the Xenomorphs were before. So if you... They're already dangerous enough with, like, two or three of them against right. a whole crew of humans. If you outnumber a, a crew of humans against Xenomorphs, my first thought is, well, they're all dead. Yeah, yeah they're I mean, all it's, dead. It's going to be a 30-minute movie. They'll, there's no chance that they'll survive this. They're all dead, and then what's
1: going to happen is you're going to have... And I'm calling this now. I think Catherine Waterson who plays Daniels in this, I think... She's going to be the type of character where, because a lot of the trailers, at least the like ones that we've seen, have kind of focused on her character. It looks like, yeah. So my thing is, you know, looking at this and what they're doing, is she can be in like in a possible predicament and somehow out of her ass pulls it out and, and, and escapes like the last moment.
0: Yeah, gets away or ends up hiding and and until they leave or something like that. I don't know, but. I mean, t- to me, I understand why people are excited about this or want to be excited about this, but I, I got to tell you, man, I just can't be super, super cautious about this. I'm not saying like I'm being Fantastic for cautious about <laughs> right. this, but right. I- I'm not, I don't, I don't have high hopes after this first trailer. Sorry.
1: Okay, so before we, we go on to nerd news, just real quick, what's one thing you hope to see out of this movie? What's one thing you hope? You, you don't see out of this.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna just echo it again. I hope we see more of a cerebral approach. I hope that we see exactly what you were saying that you know kind of Jaws in space thing. Where they're where they're there, but you don't really see them very often. And and you know every now and then they'll just kind of come out of the woodwork, sort of thing. What I don't want to see is again excessive gore just for the sake of of excessive gore and to me when you're doing which you you know you you're kind of hit the nail right on the head it's basically a horror movie and when you have excessive gore in most horror movies to me it's like okay you're covering up for the fact that you don't really have a good story you don't ever really have a good plot line so you're going to try and create a few a bunch of things that people are going to remember when they walk out of the theater and get people talking about it make people think that this is a good movie so that's what i don't want to see what I want
1: to see in this again, I'm going to say it again. It's a whole jobs in space thing. If you make it like a bottle film, if you if Ridley Scott returns to his roots and re, and kind of you know and does the magic that he did with the first Alien movie, I'm like I'm all in for this. But again, something I don't want to see is I don't want to see because a lot, a lot of gore really turns me off as something. You know, I mean, me too. granted, I mean, granted, I'm I'm super excited about Logan, but and we're gonna review it next week on the show. But that's different to me. You know, it's kind of like I've been waiting for this. It's one of those things where it's like when you put too much gore into something, again, as you said, you're making up for the fact that, well, you don't have much of a story here really, so let's just go for shock value and look at this, look at this, look at this. And it turns into a big giant Eli Roth movie, which turns right. me off, you know. Right. But overall, that's that's why I hope to, to not see in this upcoming Alien movie. And that's going to do it with our talk about Alien Covenant. And coming up next... Got some nerd news coming up, and Marvel is filling out its royal family quickly and furiously.
2: Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you're listening to the Down and
1: Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's time, boys and girls, go around the interwebs and see what's trending. It's time for what, James? Nerd, nerd, nerd News! In our first story, James, you know, a while back we talked about the whole Square Enix and Marvel linking up for a game for the Avengers, and now... A story came out recently that said, you know what, all the Marvel games that are coming out, outside of, of course, the Square Enix stuff, they're going to be their own stories. They're not going to be tied to any canon within the MCU, but what caught my attention was they're not going to be tied to any canon within the comics, so I want to know, what's your take on this?
0: Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I do like the fact that they said they, quote, won't necessarily tie into the MCU, which is code for if they start sucking, yeah, we're going to tie them back in for sure. <laughs> but uh, th- that's the interesting thing that, you know, there's. it seems like Marvel is slowly but surely kind of tiptoeing backwards away from the whole it's all connected thing. Yeah, and We haven't heard that from them for a long, long time, but I do think that You kind of want to use your movies to hook people on your brand, and then show them what else you can do. And I think that hopefully that's what Themedus Games are going to do: is say, "Oh, so this is the Guardians of the Galaxy that I know from the movies, but oh, there are some differences in the actual Guardians of the Galaxy from from the world of the comics." But then you say you're not going to tie it into the comics either, and it's like, okay, I'm all for. Doing different takes on characters, but how many takes do you want here? You know,
1: right. And of course, it's going to be interesting to see what Telltale does with the Guardians of the Galaxy. But for me, it's that you know Spider-Man game we saw recently, you know, last year at E3, and and I mean that looks a it looks fucking amazing. But I kind of like the fact that they're going to be able to tell their own stories. I'm talking about the developers that Martin right. you know that Marvel saying, hey, you have to follow the comics, you have to follow the MCU the fact that they're going to be able to tell their own universal stories makes a, I like that cuz it gives you a lot of freedom as a writer and as a developer. I also like it because I mean when you look at a lot of the movie tie-in games uh, for like Spider-Man and stuff like that they kind of don't really follow the movie per no, se. Not really. Like yeah, you fight Green Goblin, yeah, and Spider-Man 1, but I mean you're fighting the Shocker, you're fighting Scorpion, you know, you're right. fighting characters that aren't in the movie at all so my thing is it's like they've kind of already been having them and allowing them to do that so right. it's i mean i know that spider was more sony's project back then than it's marvels but i think that when you look at what they're doing now i think that giving them that freedom is important and i think that really what it does is it makes me as a gamer and as you know someone who's an avid video game player like, intrigued by it. what are they going to do in terms of the story? Like, how are they going to do this? You know, the fact that they're not bound to the comics or not bound to the movies or TV or whatever. Like, like what are they going to do? And it intrigues me. And also, I mean, that also provides a lot of risk as well.
0: Right. Well, I like what Bill Roseman told uh, IGM when he had an interview with them. He kind of put it this way. He's like, hey, if you're the chef, you're going to make this meal. Here are all the ingredients. You pick the ingredients that you like. And make a new meal. So now, but that's kind of vague because it's not like if you're making an Iron Man game, you can just go, hey, you know what would make this game better? If Doctor Strange was in it, you know, right. and you just throw Doctor Strange in there. So, I mean, I think that they'll be given leeway to an extent, but not to a large, large extent. And and again, with, with Marvel and the villains, it, depending on which games you go with, there's only with so many directions you can go with villains anyway, unless they're being given the freedom to create new villains, which I kind of doubt. So, I mean, in a way, not I, I almost feel like this kind of might limit them in what they're able to do. I mean, I know that there's plenty of properties that you can make a game for and tell stories for, sure, but it also, I think, limits them to what they can do and who they can choose to be in these games.
1: Looking at the quote you just said about, you know, okay, Marvel's giving you these the ingredients, now do what you will with them. It's kind of like, well, Marvel already gave you the ingredients, so can you throw in some nutmeg in there? Or do you right. or can you you know can you all that's what I'm saying is like can you all like you have the ingredients, Marvel gave you the ingredients for these games, but do you have the freedom as a developer to alter them and maybe say, you know what this could use? Some of this, you know, whatever.
0: Right. It's it's like it's like not a lot of people put hot dogs in their macaroni and cheese, but am I allowed to put hot dogs in my macaroni and cheese? Kind of thing. You know that's what I mean? That's di- fucking. First of all, that's fucking disgusting. Oh, my son loves it. Loves
1: well, it. Well, loves he, he, it. He, well, he's two and has changed. Taste buds are going to change.
0: Well, he likes hot dogs and he likes macaroni and cheese. It just seemed natural to combine them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, staying with Marvel James, our next story deals with the Inhumans. And I got to tell you, so they're getting ready to do the whole Inhumans thing, I believe, in the fall on ABC. And they're wasting little time. And we're in March right now. They pretty much, for the most part, got the entire royal family together.
0: Doesn't it seem like they're really ready to just steel-toe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, God, yeah. Oh God! they're ready to punt that out the door. I mean, because, I mean, first it started with Entertainment Weekly, right, casting Anson Mount as Black Bolt. Of course, if you've seen Hell on Wheels, you know exactly who that is. And then, of course, you've got Serinda Swan, who's going to play Medusa. And then literally not too long ago, you've got Leung Chen, who's going to be playing another role in there. So, I mean, yeah, they've really started. I mean, they had Maximus that they cast even before yep. that with... uh you want Rouen. i mean do you think that they're just they just seem really excited and jazzed about this pro- project so they're like yeah let's just get all the casting <laughs> news out there right now so we can get some buzz about it or do you think, think it's too soon do you think they're casting everything too soon
1: no i think that they have a, a they have a release date they got to be they have to make but part of me feels like they're doing all this news. Remember, this is like within a the week they've announced, this person's cast, this person's cast, and so on it's and so forth. The,
0: it's been all of this week, basically. Right. Yeah. but part, part of me thinks that
1: they're doing it because it's like, we're fucking doing it, humans. Like, stop saying if we're going to do it or not. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. happening. Even though we said, you know what, we're going to put it in the TV realm. Of course, we're going to release it in IMAX as well, like the first episode or whatever. Like, this is Marvel pretty much saying, we're doing this. Like, like, so, like, like, like we are 100% doing this, so... I mean, it's
0: going to be interesting to see what they do with it, you know? I think that most Marvel fans, especially with when the Inhumans movie got pushed back and then pushed and then pushed and then all of a sudden it was off the schedule, a lot of fans of Inhumans are like, okay, you say you're going to do it in TV, but until you cast Black Bolt, this isn't real for us. But now, hey, Anson Mount's going to play Black Bolt, and if you've seen any... Of Hell on Wheels. It's a really good show, by the way. It's on Netflix if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Not really in the nerd, nerd realm, but it's still a pretty good show. If you see him in that show, you can kind of see that he has that commanding presence. That you need and that grittiness that you need to play Black Bolt. So I actually think, just looking at his casting specifically, they certainly got that one right.
1: Yeah, I like the fact you talk about him being a commanding role in terms of Black Bolt. Because remember, Black Bolt doesn't talk because if he talks, the entire universe just goes by. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> like, you know, like, like that's the thing. So. You have to be able to have that presence, that walk, that bravado. And, and, you know, and just when you enter a room of, like, you're king shit. You know, you have to have that. And he does. I, I've watched Hell on Wheels. I like it. It's a really great show. And he does have a, does do a fantastic job on that show. So, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does with that. And of course, you mentioned uh, another casting that did. He's going to be playing Karnak as well. I forgot the guy's name. Yep, but yep. Uh, he's going be playing Karnak. And so, I mean, again, this is coming together really fast, and I kind of like that again because this shows Marvel's Marvel's like, okay, we're not kicking the can down any longer. Like, like, this is happening. And again, in terms of Agents of Shield, I'm not gonna lie, and this is a spoiler for the last episode. I mean, but granted, this came out like last week. Yeah, so you're you're good. Uh, the end when May is going up the elevator and you see the Hydra emblem, I'm like, fuck, they're gonna be bringing Hydra again. A fucking gun. Like, really? <laughs>
0: you, you, they just can't get away from they it. They I, I get it, okay? Hydra's a big deal. But it's like, every time that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to find a crutch, it's always it's, Hydra. And the thing is, okay, they have, what, like, four or five seasons. Like, at least
1: 90% of those seasons have involved Hydra. And it's, guys, come on now. Like, like seriously... You know, it's 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 just, and and I'm not gonna lie. When when Daisy gets up and she you see that picture of, of Ward, I'm like, "Fuck! Oh no, he's back again. <laughs> he somehow found a way to
0: remake himself in space, and he's fucking back. You just can't get rid of him. What did we say over a ton of shows? You cannot get rid of Brett Dalton. On agents of she You never will. He's probably going to show up in humans. Brett Dalton is the prettiest case of herpes
1: anybody can ever get.
0: Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, he just (laughs) won't go away. It's like, God. And I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. he's an awesome guy. He's a great guy. We had a little short
1: conversation with him. He's a really nice guy.
0: Don't get me wrong. I love him. But at the same time, it's like, come on. Can we do... Anything else, please. And it seems like every time S.H.I.E.L.D. thinks they... It seems like they've got a good thing going, like the, with the Inhuman storyline. That was really interesting. And then they had... And then they screwed that up. And then the LMDs, and And then they, they screwed... The, to my my opinion, they screwed the Ghost Rider thing up. So it's like, ah, damn, what do we do? I mean, things aren't working. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hydra's still around. Let's go get Hydra again. And then you're like, no. And I'm like, you, is this really the way you want to go out? Is this it's how kind you want to <laughs> go out?
1: It's kind of like... The show, okay, it's kind of like when you're dating somebody, like you break up with someone, and you're like, okay, I'm going to date around or whatever. And then next thing you know, you realize, well, these dates just aren't as good. So then they call up the rex and they're like, hey, you up? Let me come over. You know? like Yeah, that's that's Hydra. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra's relationship is literally like, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that guy who cannot delete his ex's phone number from his phone
0: it's ridiculous because there there are so many things this show could have been and it was yeah. there were flashes of brilliance that, there and there and they I just think, have never found that that groove to me anyway
1: oh yeah i think that ever since they introduced the inhumans i'm like this opens the door like they're gonna the, I, I said it i go if the show does not do well the ratings have not been good for agents of shield this whole Inhumans arc, they can bring Daisy into the fold and have her talk to Black Bolt about what everything's exactly. been happening and everything else like that with Sanctuary and everything and her mom and it's just a way of bring her in and you can tie the two universes together, you know, and kind of cut one of them off, you know.
0: I'm gonna say it because, and it's gonna sound really bad, and this is just my personal opinion. Okay, okay. I think Marvel legitimately cares about two characters on that show. And that's Chloe Bennett and Clark Gregg. That's it.
1: Yeah. And you're not wrong. I mean, you're really not wrong on that end.
0: And I mean, it's not that I don't love the other characters, you know, I mm-hmm. love Ming-Na Wen, but I mean, and, I, you know, and I've talked about it many times on the show, how much I love Henry Simmons, but at the same time, they lift right out. You know? Well, it it,
1: it's, it comes to the thing with Shield, and again, this is this is not the any of the cast members' fault. It just falls on the writing that, and that's
0: what I mean. There's yeah. only
1: there's only so much development you can do with certain characters like May, with Mac and stuff like that. You know, and, and to me is one of the one, you know we're seeing it especially with Mac. Uh, whenever you you can't, and I find this as a lot in terms of writing. Whenever you can't. Find a way to build the character up even more, like to develop the character more than what they really are. You introduce a love interest, and for Mackage it was Yo-Yo, and for May it was Coulson. Yep. So it's like we can't, we don't know what to do with these characters. Let's just have them fall in love now. And the like, May
0: Coulson thing is so weird. It's odd, yeah. It's, it's so weird. weird. It,
1: it, it's really weird. It's it's re- super weird.
0: It's, it's like, it's like when you have a group of friends and you grow up as like brother and sister kind of relationship and you see two of those friends like get together and you're like ah, I mean, I could see how that could happen, but I thought we weren't really that kind of group. Right. I didn't right. think we had that kind of dynamic. So it's just weird seeing the two of you together. So to me, it's it's weird with them. And, and the whole Mac and Yo-Yo thing, I mean, I guess it was cute for a little bit, but then at the same time, you're like, did that really need to happen? Because I thought Mac could stand on his own pretty well without needing to do that. But again, I mean, all of these characters just kind of... They they could go away easy. Like if if Agents of Shield gets canceled tomorrow, who would you miss? Right. You know.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. That that's true. And you know, staying within the, the Disney Television realm, James going to Disney XD, and you know they're bringing back Duck And now here's the thing: the show does not premiere. Its, itself does not premiere until summer. Disney XD is like, yeah, we're gonna renew it, give it a second season already. And with that came a new look, a first look at the DuckTales. And I'm not gonna, I'm a, I'm not gonna lie on this. I'm not a fan of the animated style. I know nope. they probably wanted to change it up a little bit, but to me, it just, it's not. I don't find it really that entertaining at all. I find the old style animation much, much better.
0: Okay, I've got a two-year-old at home. Yeah, I watch a lot of cartoons. Yeah. And the first thing I thought of when I saw this animation style is it looked like The Loud House to me, which is a Nickelodeon show. And a couple of other cartoons that that I've seen recently. There's nothing innovative about this, I don't think. I am glad that they didn't go with the with the 3D style. Oh yeah. CGI oh, animation. So I I will at least give them that and and I think you see kind of flashes in this animation style of oh that's kind of you know, that that's kinda of nice and I'm and it still makes well, you glad that they didn't do that. But at the same time, if I've gotta be the old man in the room here, I just I'm sorry, I can't let go of how how the animation style was done in the original DuckTales.
1: The animation style in this new DuckTales to me now granted I love the cast they put together. I really do. Oh yeah. But the animation style, it it looked a little rushed, just the way their beaks were designed, the way that the backgrounds, the city itself, does not differentiate from anything. Like, all the buildings kind of look the same and torn in color. And
0: and maybe this isn't final production value. I think it's final production value. So we'll see if maybe they clean that stuff up. But yeah, you're right. Why would you put out a first look if this wasn't a in-the-can type of situation?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I look at this, man. We got the first look at uh, at it. I, I again, it's one I want it to be awesome. And I will say this: my I, you know, rarely do I watch a trailer for anything and laugh my ass off. But I can already tell that Launchpad is going to be my oh, favorite yeah. character because when he just goes like family support. And, oh no, the ground! And yeah. I'm like, I, I fucking howled at that. Yeah, that was really
0: funny. I mean. Yeah.
1: And part of me, here's my only downfall. Sorry to cut you off. My, my only fear, my big fear for this, outside is just the way it looks aesthetically, um, it seems that a lot of the characters, like like you know Huey Dewey and Louie, it, are really like on speed. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like hyper, like like really hyper, like super hyper. And I'm like. Oh my God! Are they gonna be like talking a mile a minute? Or are they gonna sound like you know they need something to calm them down? You know, did they, they do like a bunch of line of coke before they? You know, before I think they, I they, think they, they're they trying
0: to they're trying to capture the new like millennial style of child because you know you take your kid to a play place it's thunderdome in there man and, <laughs> and the kids are they're all most of them are talking a mile a minute and 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 there's nothing wrong with that either by the way if you've got a kid you know exactly what i'm talking about and there's nothing wrong with it but i think that that's kind of what they're trying to capture and it's like it, it, before it was that huey Dewey and louie were the way that they were because you know it was kind of a different world than it is now when they made that show so I don't know if that's what it is if they think they're trying to capture what today's kids are like but right one thing that that kind of made me kind of roll my eyes when I saw this first look was when when it was set when they said oh D- uh, Donald Duck is one of the greatest adventurers of all time and I rolled my eyes and went really yeah really is he?" Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie,
1: Scrooge McDuck's more of the better adventure. I mean, this guy
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, Scrooge McDuck, when you look at his history, you know, he he fought knights, he he, he fought a lot of people and and you know, it's just the way he was the way he became Scrooge McDuck where, you know, he got a job and he was like 5 or 6 years old or whatever like that and he was And he he was given his first dime, but it was an American dime. He's like, that's what drove him to get this big fortune and never let Mm -hmm. anybody take advantage of him. Like, if they take this and and, and kind of make it about Scrooge McDuck a little bit more, like, you know, I would love that. I would love a series if they said, you know what, we're not going to do DuckTales, but we're going to do a Scrooge McDuck show about like his early years and how he became Scrooge McDuck. I would think that would be great.
0: That would be be great too. Although I do like the fact that when Huey Doo and Louie go up to him and do the whole, Hey man, you used to be cool, what happened to you kind of thing. Right. And that kind of lights a fire under him. I do like if that's the angle they're gonna take. Right. I do like that because it almost like reignites him to be who he once was and to hell with how old I am, we're doing this now, kind of thing. So if they focus more on that I think that they're definitely going to have something. Obviously, they think they have something if they've automatically renewed it for a second season, which I don't disagree with, by the way, because the buzz is probably there. It's probably going to be at least a decent quality show that they can run for kids at bare minimum, so I can understand why they'd want to keep it automatically if they think it's good at all. Are you but sh- I want are- it to be great.
1: Are you shocked that they renewed it so quickly before you yes. premiered?
0: Yes, it seems like everybody's pulling a Walking Dead lately. If you have even a, a small amount of faith in anything, you renew it for two seasons. I mean, I can't remember the last... I mean, it took a while for that to happen at all. I mean, before you were sweating it out until May as to whether you were getting another season at all, no matter how good of a show you were. Now we're, we're renewing stuff for two seasons? I just think that that's... I don't know. It's, it's a little weird to me because stuff bad stuff can happen, okay? It <laughs> could just fall on its face, and you're stuck with it now. I don't think it'll
1: fall on its face. But I think that the reason why they did this is because I mean it's Disney, so it's Disney's property. So you're not really taking a big risk if you were by renewing a, a show that wasn't your own property per se, right? So I can see why they did it. I'm I, I will admit I am shocked that they did it like before the show even premiered to see what the reaction would be towards it. Um, but yeah, I mean, except in terms of the animation style, I'm not. It's going to be something where. It's not, to me, going to be the best, but who knows, maybe the more episodes I watch over time, it might grow on me.
0: Is it a deal breaker for you, though?
1: No. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I wish it was different. And the thing is, I think it's more reflective on the times we live in now, like, in a way that's how animation in 2D kind of is. It's really jagged, um, not so much defined as we have seen kind of in the past. So, I think that you know for me it wasn't a deal breaker, but for me it felt like my look my first saw the trailer, the first look at it I'm like, the art looks kind of rushed
0: yeah, I mean, I was just checking to see where you were at because the animation style's not a big deal for me either, as far as a deal breaker is concerned, but at the same time, all I want is for this to be a good story you know, I want it to tell a good story, and you know as somebody that has a kid, I want this to be something that I want to watch with my son. And and you also, as as a parent, you want your kids to be able to learn something too, even if it's just a little bit of something. So if they throw like a, a few historical references in here and there, that wouldn't be a big deal. Or, you know, even if it's just teaching about family dynamic and stuff like that, of course you want it to be funny, you want it to be entertaining, but you want your kids to learn something as well. You know what I mean? I think that's important in animation.
1: Yeah, speaking of telling good stories, our final story, you know, we talked about it for the past couple of weeks. This whole DC Looney Tunes crossover. And well, we finally got the full story. We got the full teams and everything else, what they're about. So, real quick, of course, you know that the Batman Elmer Fudd thing is going to be written by Tom King. And then the art is going to be done by Lee Weeks. And the story is pretty much kind of what we figured a little bit that, you know, Elmer Fudd's got an obsession. He kind of stalks Batman. So it's going to be one of those things, which is pretty cool. But. You know, the, the story that interests me the most out of the new ones that, that came out, there was two of them. Wonder Woman, Tasmanian Devil. Yeah. That, yeah. holy shit. Now, there's nothing about the story, I believe. Uh, it just says that, you know, she's just, you know, in a great danger against the Tasmanian Devil.
0: Uh, I love how Taz looks. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, it's almost like if Cheetah had a brother that was off his meds. <laughs> right. That's kind of what Tasmanian Devil looks like, and I mean it is—it is kind of menacing, and it, obviously you want it to be. So I, I think that that's really cool too. One—that's one thing that struck me was the uh, was the Bugs Bunny and the, the superheroes slash Bugs Bunny that's going to be written by Sam Humphreys, and it's kind of like a legion of superheroes kind of thing. I thought that that was kind of an interesting idea too.
1: Yeah, I think, that's really, I think that's really cool, too. Uh, you know, and pretty much what it deals with is they're trying to bring a, a superhero into the future where they are, and it turns out that it's Bugs Bunny, or at least a Superman version of Bugs Bunny. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works and how that comes into play. Of course, you have the whole Jonah Hex thing where it's like, he gets hired by by Simi Sam, but then it turns out that hey, Yosemite Sam might not be the best person. So Hex might kind of be going after him. Of course, that's gonna be written by Jimmy Palmiotti, and the art of the covers gonna be done by Mark Teixeira. And I'm gonna tell you, man, the fact I love that fact that Teixeira is doing the cover for this because if the, his art is gonna be reflective of the cover.
0: Oh my God! Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah, and you see, you kind of see that a lot in these too. I mean, Bill Morrison's going to write the Lobo Roadrunner special, and Kelly Jones is going to do the art and the cover. So you know, when you turn that page, this is what you're getting for the art. You know what I mean? And that's
1: that's true for some of the other ones as well. Right. Of course, when we talked about the covers a couple weeks ago when they first were released, you know, a lot of these stories are kind of nailed on the head, like the whole. Coyote, Wiley Coyote Lobo is gonna be about Lobo hunting down Road Runner for Wiley and and, and Marvel the Martian, Marvel the Man, Martian Manhunter is gonna be pretty much the same kind of thing where they're gonna be going against one another. But I'm excited about this, and then one thing I like about this is I'm looking through the this, this story here. I like that not every character is getting one. I like that right. this is this appears to just be you know six different comics, and that's. It looks, looks to be it, you know. Who knows, maybe they'll do a second wave with different characters like a Daffy Duck and, and other people. But I, I like what they're going with the – yeah, there's just six books and uh, six series, and, and we'll see what, we, uh, co- what comes out of those things. And, of course, they're coming out in June, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that.
0: I think it's pretty obvious that if these are successful – we're going to see more of them. I don't think that there's... I mean, like, look at the DC bombshell covers that they did. Those were wildly successful variant covers, so they did another round the following year. So, yeah, I think that there's a chance we could see more of these. I mean, there's also a chance that the stories just won't work, and and they'll decide, oh, well, you know, we tried, and it was a cool experiment, but we're not going to do that again. And the fact that a lot of these say special on them, it's almost like an alarm bell to fans saying, look, love this or don't love this. This is what you're getting, period. You know what I mean? Have you noticed this too? Uh,
1: I've just noticed this actually that out of all these books, the main DC character is somebody's a member of the Justice League. I mean, I know Lobo's not the main Justice League member, but he's JLA. So yeah, he's if JLA you, have now. Yep. You, have you noticed that that all these characters in this are, are are you know especially in the the superheroes thing with Bugs Bunny that it's Superman Bugs Bunny? So. Yep. They're all members of, I as mean, except for Jonah Hex, of course.
0: Yeah, too, he's but, the outlier, but he's always been yeah, the outlier. So. right.
1: But I mean, for most part, they're they're the ones that are are the Justice League. People are the ones that who are the main DC uh, people in this. And I okay. So before we go on, to, before we close out nerd news, I want to ask you this. So of all the com of all the the Looney Tunes DC characters that did not get a comic who would you like to see get us get a comic in the second wave there, there's a second wave of these i already know who i want
0: speedy gonzalez and, and speedy who? Gonzalez speedy and, the, and who? the flash gotta be the flash no 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 speedy gonzalez and kid flash yeah <laughs> i yeah. think that would be an interesting dynamic
1: yeah um mine would be daffy duck and dr fate
0: nice Nice. Oh, see, on that, now I'm thinking of the gameplay footage from Injustice 2. <laughs> it popped right into How, my head. Let's talk about that real quick. How happy were you when I texted oh you like, God. hey, your dreams come true, your boy is in Injustice 2. Oh, I'm so happy right now. So happy that I might have to blow hundreds and hundreds of dollars. <laughs> to get a ps4 i like the new look too they gave him a little bit of a new look where the medallion's a little bit different and the the front of the costume's a little bit different the helmet's pretty much the same but it has to be yeah i'm happy i'm happy just the fact that that they think that he's important enough to be involved makes me happy because that means they're not just going to throw this character away for years and years and years again they're actually it looks like they're actually going to use him for something
1: and that's going to do it for Nerd News. Coming up next, we'll be talking to IDW CEO Ted Adams about the new Humble Bundle d- doing and also a new series that he's working on as well. Stay tuned. It's coming up next on the Down and
2: Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys, this is IDW senior staff writer and editor Tom Waltz, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Well, I think it's no secret how much we love IDW Publishing on the Down and Nerdy Podcast, and who better to talk about everything that's going on with IDW Publishing in a special humble bundle that they have out right now than CEO and publisher and maybe even knight of the round table of IDW (laughs) Media Holdings. It's Ted Adams. How are you doing today?
2: I am good. That's a nice way to start. I love uh, hearing from people who love IDW. So. I mean, it, the, I uh, a love fest all around, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that we've talked about, you know, reviewed books and had guests on the show of so many great titles that you have. But I mean, speaking of that, I mean, other than just being CEO, you do so much with the IDW, with the publishing and other media projects that you still find the time to keep writing books like Diablo House, which is going to be part of this Humble Bundle. So is it your passion for the industry as a whole that makes you want to keep writing? Is that that part of what makes uh, the comic book industry itself so special?
2: Yeah, I, I'm a, a lifelong reader. So I've been, you know, my mom read to me when I was very little and as soon as I could read, read on my own, I was doing that. So I, you know, I read all the time. Uh, my free time is spent reading comics, you know, prose, nonfiction, fiction, kind of anything I can get my hands on. I listen to audio books when I'm in the car, driving, uh, driving to work or home. So I, I just, you know, I bleed books. I, I live for books and, when I uh, when I uh, got out of college, I knew that I wanted to work in publishing, and I ended up working for a uh, small comics publisher, Eclipse Comics, back in the, this is in the very early 90s, like 1990, and I worked there for a little while, and then I worked for Dark Horse Comics um, for a couple of years, uh, went back and got an MBA, and then went from there and went to work for Jim Lee at Wildstorm, so I worked there for three or four years, and then uh, actually worked for Todd McFarlane in his L.A. office for about a year. And then started IDW in 1999. So my career has always been in publishing, and in my passion, you know, my my uh, really my life revolves around publishing and around books. So it's you know it's just it's really how I define myself. Uh, my job here at IDW has grown. Uh, we're actually a public company, so I'm CEO of the public company, and uh, I spend a fair amount of time dealing with shareholders and investment banks and the the money side of the business. But uh, my passion is very much uh, in the books. I'm very proud to still be our publisher and you know pretty involved with a number of projects. So I live and breathe books is what it comes down to.
1: That's quite like a legendary past, you know, working with Jim Lee and Tom McFarlane. That's that's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, I've been fortunate to work for some really amazing guys in like Mike Richardson the Dark Horse, you know what, what he did there, and Dean Mullaney, um who, who started Eclipse and Randy Clips, who now actually works for IDW. Uh, he does our Library of American Comics line. You know the, the mentors of my life were were Dean Mullaney, Mike Richardson, um, Jim Lee, and uh, there was a guy there named uh, John Nee, who was who really ran Wildstorm, and then Todd McFarlane. You know, those are the people that that I really learned from on the publishing side, and also they're they're all of those all of those guys are entrepreneurs and really smart entrepreneurs. So it really gave me a chance to I had the business degree, both undergrad and business. And, and a master's degree, but uh, it, it's it was a combination of that education plus really just that hands-on training and education that I got from from those people. And of,
1: you know, of course, Diablo House, as James mentioned, is part of this just big. And, and I, we got a chance to look at it, this big and wonderful humble bundle that you folks over at IDW have put together. Uh, what are some things that excite you about bundles like this one? And also, what was the, the decision-making process like when you were putting this together? Like which books to put in, which issues, and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, you know, we love the, we love the bundles. It's a nice way to get the books in front of new people. So as a publisher, my, my mission is to make sure that our books are read by as many people as we can, as we can possibly reach. So that of course means comic stores, which is the front lines of, of all comic books in the single most important marketplace, the book channel, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores. Uh, in success, we have product that we sell through Walmart and Target and those kinds of places. But the bundles are really nice because what we what we see is that we're really reaching people who aren't necessarily going to comic stores or aren't seeing aren't seeing the books otherwise. So, um, so we love we love the fact that we can get comic books in front of new readers. And then the other really nice thing about Humble Bundle is the charitable component. So, uh, I'm a I'm the chairman of a nonprofit in San Diego called Traveling Stories. And what we do at Traveling Stories is we, uh, we help kids, uh, get introduced to the love of reading. So these are typically communities in San Diego that are economically disadvantaged, that maybe wouldn't have access to books, um, as much as, as much as I did growing up. And so, um, so I'm really passionate about Traveling Stories and, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it, Traveling Stories is set up so that we set up story tents in communities in San Diego and kids can come to those story tents the people will read to them. We give them books that they can take home, and they earn what are called story bucks. And so, for every book that is read to a child or that they read on their own, they get a story buck that they can then redeem for for small toys and those kinds of things. So, it really is a it's a it's a chance really for for kids to fall in love with reading, um, in the same way that that I did and so many people that I know did. Um, So one of the great things about Humble Bundle is that it allows us also to give some money to Traveling Stories and then also to Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is a a nonprofit that probably needs no explanation.
0: It almost sounds like you're bringing back like an old-fashioned elementary school type book fair that I remember when I was younger. So that sounds like a really cool program.
2: Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's 100% like that. So and these are a lot of times these are... uh recent immigrants to the US a lot of a lot of cases where English is a second or third language. Um so it's really a chance for the kids to like I said, just to get introduced to books and, and to fall in love with reading. It, you know, I I very firmly believe and statistics show that being an avid reader is very much a path to success in life. And not being an avid reader meaning that if you don't if you don't learn to read by the fourth grade your future doesn't look so bright. There's a lot of a lot of research um, that shows that that um, being an early reader is really is really what differentiates people from having a life that can be more successful.
0: Absolutely. Turning the page a little bit from the publishing side to the IDW Entertainment side, we want to talk a little bit about some of that. Now, Nick and I were so excited to see Dirk gently. Come to BBC America, and even more excited at how amazing the show actually ended up being when we saw it. So, how fun was it to watch Samuel Barnett bring Dirk to life? And can you tell us anything about what we may see now that the show's actually been picked up for a second season?
2: Yeah, so we're well, no very excited about that. Um, you know, it really started we um, we worked with a Malaysian company called IDA to get the rights for Dirk Gently um, from the Douglas Adams estate, and we we secured the um, the comic and graphic novel rights and the TV rights. And then, um, working with Circle of Confusion, we brought on Max Landis as the as the showrunner and uh, head writer. And Max's vision for Dirk Gently was just, you know, I I just think it's genius. And he Max was a guy who read up, who who grew up reading Douglas Adams and the Dirk books were books that he read a lot um, when he was uh, when he was growing up. And so he just, he, he brings that, that Douglas Adams sensibility to the show, but not in a, you know, but, but brings his own vibe to it as well. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's trying to do a version of Douglas Adams, which sometimes doesn't work, um, but has the spirit of it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't be happier about the show. As far as uh, spilling secrets for season two, I'm afraid I would uh, get hung out to dry if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: you mentioned earlier you founded IDW in 99 and, you know, as a publisher, you've been telling stories and help create imaginations for pretty much almost 20 years. So, uh, now that your stories being told on television, as James just mentioned with Dirk Gently, there's also one on Erp as well. Uh, as yeah. you continue to branch out into new and different areas uh, of entertainment, what's something you feel is important to always remember and never lose sight of?
2: Well, what we're trying to do with IDW entertainment is we're actually either fully financing or co-financing the projects and so we're not doing, and this is very inside baseball. We're not optioning the content to a, to a production company or a studio and letting them handle the process. We're actually, because we're putting the money on the table, we're actually hiring the creative talent. We're overseeing the, overseeing the show. Um, in the case of Dirk Gently and in the case of Winona where we're the worldwide distributor. So what what we're really trying to do is is bring our storytelling sensibility that we've honed over decades by, by publishing comics and telling stories in that medium, trying to bring that to to our shows. When, what I learned a long time ago is, is that, it, it, and it's no secret to success in any business, but particularly in comics, is higher... Smart and talented people, and then give them the support they need to succeed, but don't micromanage their creative decisions or micromanage the way that they do their job. And it really is, you know, I think we're both with Winona, uh, with Emily Andrus, who's just this phenomenal showrunner, brilliant writer, who's created these just wacky and fun characters on Winona Earp, and then Max Landis, who, you know, has just, you know, like I said, I think is a creative genius and has done this phenomenal job bringing the Dirk Gently world to life um, and, and you know so if there's anything it's just that it's it's find the right people um, support them you know, make sure that they know that you support them and that, and that you're there for them and just get out of the way
1: and you know IAW is home to many Historic characters, I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and of course, there's the Transformers as well. So this is kind of a uh, when, I, when James saw this, and I saw him ask Ted this. He's like, "That sounds painful as hell." So, if you could transform your body into a vehicle, which which vehicle would you choose, and why?
2: Wow! All right, that's a question I've never been asked. Let me think about that.
0: <laughs> ah, breaking ground.
2: <laughs> I, I would. Uh, I guess I would. I would go more for something nimble and fast, as opposed to. Uh, Big and hefty, so the Optimus Prime truck would be out for me. Uh, I, I, I think probably more like a Bumblebee type car, although maybe something a little smaller. Not a, you know, I like the Camaro, but it might be too big, so maybe I drive a little, uh, Lexus convertible, so maybe that's what uh, maybe that's what I'd choose. Something I could something I could be nimble and quick and, and uh, get where I needed to go fast.
0: Absolutely, because a transformed pogo stick just doesn't scream cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. Well, <laughs> that's well plus the it.
0: thing too is like if you, if you transform into like a little like a
1: little RC car, like would you need batteries? You need somebody to run, run the controller for you. Right. You can't move without that. You
0: know, it's <laughs> quite a conundrum there. exactly oh gosh now one of the things that you guys do so well at idw probably better than anyone else in the past couple years are crossover events i mean you've got great partnerships i mean such as tmnt and batman and star trek planet of the apes just to name a couple now i know that we have uh star trek the next generation aliens coming up but how much more of that can we expect going forward and are there any that you'd personally like to see happen at some point down the road
2: uh, well, yes, you'll definitely see more. I um, fans fans uh, fans love crossovers for uh, kind of obvious reasons, and and the uh, creators who work on those books also get really excited about doing them. So uh, you'll absolutely absolutely see more from us. Um, they've been commercially really successful for us, and I think, like you said, creatively and uh, really well executed. You know, it's just uh, the people who work on those books are having so much fun. It really it really just uh, screams off the page. Uh, as far as one that I would like to see personally, I I would love to see um, Justice League Transformers is the one that uh, I think would be pretty fun for us. Um, so although there's been uh, it's been a little bit of uh, some hurdles to get that done, but if I in a perfect world, if I could do whatever I wanted to do, that's the one I would do.
0: Don't tease us, Ted.
2: Oh, <laughs> that's a, that's it's a juicy nugget. It's definitely just a pipe dream. There's no, uh, definitely not, don't read anything into that because it's not something that's uh, <laughs> likely to happen. But, uh, but Selena, I, think, I think it would be fun to see. So. Next
1: thing you know, like, like next month or two months later, we have a story out IDW, Transformers Justice
0: League. <laughs> now, when I see that press release, I'm going to be thinking of you, Chad.
2: All uh, right. Well, if, it, if that happens, you know it's because of this podcast because you know, ah, yeah! otherwise, so. you heard it from
0: the man himself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you know, Ted, I want to go back to the Humble Bundle real quick, and the comic. and Of course, a comics that's part of the Humble Bundle, as I mentioned earlier, is your Diablo House, and I want to ask you about that. So, I when I yeah. saw the preview pages for, her, I got a really California Tales from the Crypt vibe from it. Uh, so, what was your inspiration behind it, and what makes the Hell Room so unique in it?
2: Yeah, so that is a that is a good that's a good vibe to get from it. Um, basically, this is this is kind of my love letter more. Not so much tales from the crypt, but for the for the books that were inspired by tales from the crypt, and specifically some of the '70s DC horror, the Joe Orlando edited comics that were coming out then. So things like Witching Hour and House of Secrets, House of Mystery, mm. and the the idea is basically that there's this is a uh, Diablo House is, is a version of a haunted house, and that there's a host who tells a story each issue. So every every issue is a standalone story. And it's those kind of twisted tales where somebody, uh, they go to the Diablo house to try and change their life. So in the case of the first issue, it's a, it's a couple who are want to have more financial success. So they go to Diablo house to try and make that happen. And then it's the story of what, what happens when your dreams come true. The book itself is drawn by a guy named Santi Perez. And I fell in love with his art. I met him at the Barcelona Comic Art Festival last year. Uh, Where I was doing a bunch of portfolio reviews, and Santi came to my little station and brought his portfolio. And you know, I was was honestly a little jet lagged and (laughs) a little tired. And um, you know, those portfolio um, reviews—you know—I try to take them very seriously. And so, they can be a little bit of an exhausting experience because you want to be very attentive to the person that you're meeting with, and and make sure that you're giving constructive advice because it's a it's an important moment for that person. Um, which is which is awesome. It's really a good, you know, it's a really as a as a person to person kind of experience. It's it can be pretty powerful, but but also very um, sort of emotionally and, uh, exhausting. But in any case, so Santi came and and um, I had kind of a long day, and I, he brought me this portfolio, and I was just completely flabbergasted because it was so good, and it's unusual to meet somebody in that kind of a situation that is so accomplished, and so. I immediately um, through a translator. Asked him if I could buy some of the original art because I was just blown away by it, and um, he wasn't willing to sell it to me. Which (laughs) I still I still hold that against him. But um, but uh, but um, but I I just I loved his art so much, and I just thought you know this is um, I've always had this idea for Diablo House, and uh, his, his style is very much in the kind of Bernie Wrightson, Mike Kaluta sort of 70s style and so I felt like it was a good fit for what I wanted to do and, and uh, he's just been absolutely killing it. His storytelling is phenomenal and then we brought on Jay Photos who's been a long time colorist for IDW um, probably best known for doing Lock and Key but done a number of things for us. And the combination of Sandy and Jay is just—I um, I couldn't be happier. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just uh, the art is beautiful. So whether or not people like my story, hard to say, but I know they're going to like the art because it's—it's really beautiful. And uh, and then we had this idea to, to uh, debut it via humble bundle, which I think is a fun idea. And so the idea here is is that if you if you um, pledge at a certain level or you contribute at a certain level. That you'll actually get a physical comic book in the mail. It'll be the first time the Diablo House is available, and I'm actually going to hand sign every copy. So, um, so they'll all come personally signed. And uh, excited to give this a shot. I, you know, it's kind of a fun way for us to, again, to to sell comics in a way that we haven't done before. Uh, and I felt that you know, when you're when you're doing something new like this. It's a little bit of a risk for the creator, so since this is my thing, um, I felt like I could take the risk and maybe not maybe not force one of our creators to take the risk. Um, the book, of course, will will be available later as a as a traditional comic through direct market retailers and eventually as a collection in the book channel as well.
0: And because we want people to give you Carpal Tunnel, Ted, why don't you remind them what that uh, charity is one more time for the
2: Humble Bundle? Yeah, so we have we have the charity that I'm the chairman of, which is Traveling Stories, who help kids fall in love with reading. And then we have Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which, is, of course, has been around, um, and uh, deals with First Amendment and free speech uh, rights and also protecting uh, retailers and publishers who uh, have uh, law enforcement that imposes on those rights.
0: If you want to get any information on that and pledge your support to those great charities and get some great books like *Lock and Key*, *Wine on Earth*, *Winter World*, there's so many on the list. You can go to humblebundle.com right now. I believe that's available until March the fifteenth. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that sounds right, exactly.
0: March 15th, you can get the Humble Bundle, and you're definitely going to want to do that and pledge your support to get Diablo House as well. you want any more information about what they've got going on at IDW, you can always go to idwpublishing.com. Follow them on Twitter and on Facebook because there's always so much amazing stuff going on there. Ted Adams, CEO of IDW Publishing Entertainment and all kinds of other great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us this week.
2: This has been great. I really
1: appreciate your body, man. So, James, if Justice League Transformers ends up happening, do you think we're going to get, like, will we get our first ever, like, credit on, on a book, you think?
0: I don't know if we can go that far, but uh, certainly uh, <laughs> we can give ourselves a nice hearty pat on the back and a, and a job well done for for planting the seed there, I guess, because, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, if I was an Autobot and I heard that that was happening, I would I would cry so many tears of joy that I'd be rusty by the end of the day.
1: Right. Yeah, man. But I mean, you know, going really quickly to the, the Humble Bundle thing for people who want to figure out how that works, of course, you can go to the website as well. But pretty much what it is, it's a, it's a tiered system. And pretty much when you buy something, say, you, you, say so you spend $18, right, on like a certain tier, you get everything in that tier plus the tier below it. Yep. So, like, it's, it's really, really awesome. So you're getting a lot of books. And what's great about this is, of course, are the charities that are involved with this, of course, Traveling Stories, I mean, you know, Growing up, you and I, we had the Scholastic Book Fairs, just different types of book fairs and stuff like that. And like one of the first books I actually got from a book fair was – it was actually a drawing book. It was a Don- Donkey Kong drawing book I got.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh, I mean so I spent like hours just drawing Donkey Kong characters, look, learning how to draw. But, I mean, this is great going into poor communities, people, kids who don't have access to books and, and stuff like that, and just giving stuff these tents to where they can have stories read to them and, and just have, you know, the ability to be taught how to read and just learn and just be, you know, engulfed by these worlds and his imaginations. So, really, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Also, we can't forget Comic Book Legal Defense Fund as well. So, just a couple of charities that really do benefit well from this humble bundle. I think that, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of other publishers that, that do this. Uh, I'm sure some of them do, but for, for IEW to come out and say, you know, we're going to do this Humble Bundle. We're going to throw these things together, these books and these tiers and everything else, and this is what it's going to be for. Uh, I think it's really, really smart, and I think it's a wonderful way for IAW to get their name in the community as well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we're not just talking about, like, single issues here, guys. If you're no. not familiar with If you're not familiar with Humble Bundle, I mean, they're going to have the volume one of Lock and Keys going to be available on one tier. If you move up another tier, you'll get – more volumes of it, plus some of the one shots and stuff that they've had. I mean, Winter World is on here, Wine on a Earp, and Wine on a Earp Legends are on here. I mean, there are some single issues as well, but these are graphic novels, and I mean, you're getting literally, and this is no, this is not like hyperbole here, you're getting hundreds of dollars worth of, of great stories for, Say, I think the top tier is twenty five dollars. Right, you get a physical copy of Diablo House, which is which Ted said he's going to sign every copy. I mean, that's. I mean, when when are you going to get the opportunity to get Ted Adams to sign your comic? You know,
1: well, not only that, but that's also great incentive too on both just the Humble bundles part and IDW's part because it's like, wait a minute, you know, I spend twenty five dollars, I get all this great content. Not only that, but the founder and CEO of IAW himself is going to sign my book for me. Like that is, that's just a great thing, man. You know, I mean, that's something to get really excited about, especially if you're somebody who's new to comics and you, you know, maybe you're maybe just hearing of IEW, you know, and you're like, Wow, this is a great way. Exactly. For, you know, it, it really what it mm-hmm. does is, you know, on the show people tell us when they listen to our shows, like, hey, it's like I have my friends with me. When you really with IAW and just get this whole person, this whole personal connection, that's what it is. It's like you're building this personal connection with IAW through Humble Bundle.
0: And I mean, I think I think some people discover IDW through the properties that they know, like Orphan right. Black, Transformers, GI Joe stuff like that. But then once you dive into the publisher, you see they have all these. Great stories that that they've just created inside of IDW Publishing, or they or they've acquired and and given the th- through like top shelf productions, like so bringing this to everybody. There's just so many unique stories that IDW Publishing tells. And this, if you're not familiar with the publisher, or if you are and you just love them, is a great way to either beef up your collection or start your collection while supporting great causes like this. And you have until March 15th to get that humble bundle at humblebundle.com.
1: And that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And thank you so much to Ted Adams, of course, founder and CEO of IDW and IDW Entertainment, and of course, just everything involving IDW. He's in charge of, you know, just thank you for him to, to for coming on, talking about all the great things that IDW has been doing and and has coming out and stuff like that. Really, really fun. But hey, if you want more of us on social media, be sure to hit us up, Facebook.com/slash Down and Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at Down Nerdy seven five seven. I can be found. On Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitch, it's all at Merck with one arm.
0: And I'm just on the Twitter at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. But if you're thinking, man, you know, I'm not going to remember all that. It doesn't matter because you can go to DownAndNeardyPodcast dot com. All the informa- all that information is on the About Us section. Also and you want to find out everything that they've got going on with a Humble Bundle from IDW, you just want to click a link. That'll also be available as well at the This Week section of our website at downandnerdypodcast.com.
1: And as always, Prag safe comic book reading, and always bag and board your comics.